Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. DeAnthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. DeAnthony Miles. Hi, this is Game On Business Talk with DeAnthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. Get some coffee and have a seat. You're going to need a Bible and a seatbelt. This is Game On Business Talk Radio on WDJY 99.1 FM. Our show today is about the challenges of African-American uh, college presidents in higher education, and we have a guest expert today. Our guest today is Dr. Pamela E. Ray, Ph.D. founder of uh, Ray of Light Consulting, LLC. Uh, Dr. Ray is the founder of uh, Ray of Light Consulting, and uh, it's a consulting practice, and she does grants and different things with her practice, and uh, mostly in uh, the nonprofit sector and other sectors. She has an extensive background in the higher education sector. She's an expert in higher education administration. She has over 20 years' experience in the higher education sector. Dr. Ray holds a PhD in higher education and a higher education administration from the University of Incarnate Word. She has an MA in human development and family studies from the University of Oklahoma. And she has a BA in psychology and special ed from uh, Arcadia University. So I want to welcome my guest today, Dr. Pamela E. Ray. Good morning, Ray. Dr. Ray, how you doing? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you for having me. And this is a great opportunity and, and kudos to you and blessings to you on this show. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. And uh, the reason that I asked you to be on this show, because I was impressed with your background and uh, we're going to get right into the meat. Um, okay. One of the things that we're having or we're starting to see is we're starting to see there are a few African-American females who have luxury to get faculty jobs, luckily get faculty jobs in the higher education sector, and they're even more luckier to get a college president position. And what I want to know from you, uh, first, let's you know, tell the audience something about yourself that, what, that uh, I didn't go over in your bio. Tell the audience something about yourself. Okay. Well, um. Let's say I am a native of the city of brotherly love and what we ladies call ancestrally affection. I am a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a Philly girl. I'm a North Philly girl like North Philly, for, like North Philly Jilly of Jill Scott. Um, oh, okay. But, yeah, that's where I was born and bred and everything about me um, came out of uh, the city of Philadelphia. So shout out to my Philly folks. Um, I was uh, brought up in a family who valued and believed in education. Uh, my mother has a great story how she tells people that um, she was holding me as a young baby watching the funeral of Dr. King in April of 1968. Oops, I told my age. <laughs> and wow. uh, But mom says that's when she was saying to uh, me looking down at me and watching that funeral with tears in her eyes that she uh, promised Dr. King that she would make sure I get a good education and I would understand what education meant. So um, mom uh, put me in Head Start, and I like to consider myself from Head Start to higher ed. I've even worked in Head Start. Uh, but originally born and bred Philadelphia, um, I started actually out in early childhood education. I started working in the field of early childhood education as a classroom teacher 
then I was afforded the opportunity to work in administration in early childhood, and I was afforded the opportunity to uh, work at the government level in um, early childhood education, and then I was afforded the opportunity to uh, become a consultant and work in Head Start. So from there, while I was working in the early childhood profession, I was asked to teach at the college level. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. I like doing training. I like professional development at this stage of my career, at that stage of my career. But um, they kept pulling and pulling. And basically, uh, long story short, my first college class was at New Mexico State University. I taught a class on child development. Actually, I was co-teaching. And that's when I got the higher education bug. And um, I married a wonderful uh, retired service member of the United States Air Force, and I was afforded the opportunity to travel with him. And in our travels, I wound up here in San Antonio, where I live right now. And when I got here, I took a job in Head Start, and someone found out that I had a background in higher ed and said, well, are you interested in working at a college again, but not a university, at a community college. So I took a position here in San Antonio with one of the community colleges, and at that time, that college was just approved for um, an associate degree program in early childhood. So I walked into a position where I was afforded the opportunity to start a program from the ground up. So I was uh, blessed with that opportunity. I really got to see the ins and outs of higher ed at that level because now not um, in addition to teaching as an adjunct, now I'm in the administration field. So um, while starting that program up, it started with 25 students. To date, it had graduated over 500 students. In addition, I was afforded the opportunity to um, get that program accredited through national accreditation. Under that program uh, was also the Child Development Center, so I was um, actually in charge of leading that program and those who worked there and assist them and support them through their national accreditation process. So basically, um, that's how I went from early childhood to higher ed. But while in higher ed, one of the things that I watched, I watched the transition of leadership. I watched um, an institution um, transition from leadership um, of female to female to female. And what was interesting, I watched the institution transition from a Hispanic female to an African-American female, and I just watched that whole transition and became intrigued by um, that type of transition. Um, during Dr. my work, Wright, I was saying, yes. I had a question. I had a real quick question. Yes. So mm-hmm. you, uh, your career spans about 20 years that you've been in a, yes. the higher education sector, and yes. one of the things that I think why uh, – this you're so important to this show is because you you talked about the leadership transition and I just have to ask you this 
What are some mm-hmm. of the problems that you're seeing with African-American women being in the higher education sector or, or, the, or leadership positions? Why is that? Why, what's some of the problems you're seeing? What, one of the things that um, I talk about in my manuscript, in my dissertation, one of the things is called the double whammy effect. They're dealing with multiple um, I would say multiple acts or behaviors of discrimination. So they're dealing with not just the fact that they are African-American, but they're also dealing with gender discrimination. So on top of racism, you're dealing with sexism, gender issues, and so forth. So that's called the double whammy effect. So Interesting. With, yeah, so within that double whammy effect, just imagine – the fact that you have to deal with racism, you have to deal with sexism, then you have to deal with gender issues. Um, One of the uh, presidents that I interviewed in my study, she said to me, "Um, this double whammy will hit you at any time, and you need to be aware of it. But what you need to also be aware of is the fact that it's there. Don't exclude it or don't act like it doesn't exist, but do not allow it to um, overshadow or um, disrupt or be a distraction to what you were called to do as a president of an institution of higher education. I had an interesting question because that's really, I was not aware of this. What uh, yes. what are some of the problems? Are they having the problems all across uh, the levels of being in the administration, like uh, like a department of a, a chair of a department or a dean or a, a VP? Is it all across the board? It, it's right now when, when I talk to some of my uh, sisters in the academy, it's across the board. They are they are struggling. Um, that 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 who you know thing, it, it's more to that. Um, When you have an African-American female that uh, is very knowledgeable in her field, and then by chance she just happened to be an adjunct instructor, that is such – that right there is a a plus because you're getting a person that's been in the classroom that has taught, so she knows – what those classroom needs are, what the students' needs are. But then as that person may aspire to move forward in higher education, they're blocked, and they're blocked as a result of a field that is male and white-dominated. Really? So, oh, yeah, wow. so you're dealing with those types of things too. So when you have an African-American woman and she's taught some classes and now she's moved into a full-time tenure role. So she's full-time tenure. That means most likely at the university level, this person has published. This person had to write some grants, had to do something. So you have that person with that strong background. But then when this person starts applying to try to be a department chair or a dean, <laughs> that's when they're running into these roadblocks and there are others being placed, I'm going to classify it as that, 
other being others being placed in these positions, but do not have the extent of qualifications that I just described about some of our sisters. But um, Dr. Ray, let me let me get in there real quick because that is really yeah. intriguing. And uh, yeah. I know that you went to some different universities around the country, and I have to ask mm-hmm. you this. This is just uh, eating at me. Okay. So while we see lack of black professors at the universities, well, the outside of HBCU, historically black univer- colleges and universities, is that why you see hardly ever see a black professor because of that? Um, some. I don't, I don't want to say, but I, I, I hate to say this, but it, it's the who you know factor. Wow. Um, if um if you if you got my resume right now and you saw the extent of my work but you don't know me you may not hire me now one of the things i want to say to my um african american brothers um this is a male dominated field i i want to uh, talk about that male dominated um universal like a good old boy talking. system is that what you mean like a good old boy system and right. you're talking about male-dominated field. University, you're talking about white male-dominated field. When you look at um, some of the HBCUs, you have male domination. Now, where I'm talking about male domination, and some people may get mad, we do have a lot of sisters now that are opening those doors and are now becoming presidents. But the key that I want to jump into, let's talk about when you get to that level of that presidency, it's all about that board and those uh, those boards and those trustees. Look at the makeup of them. Let me tell you a very good. Um, hey, Dr. Uh, Ray, we'll have to take our first break. I want you to stick okay. on that. Hold on. Hold that okay. thought. We need to take our first okay. break. This is Game okay. on Business Talk with Dancy Miles. We'll be right back with Dr. Pamela Ray. Hi, we're back. This is Game My Business Talk with D'Anthony Miles. And uh, let us continue our discussion on our topic today, which is the challenges of African-American women, uh, college presidents in the higher education sector. And we, we have our guest today, our guest expert is Dr. Pamela Ray, and uh, founder of Ray of Light Consulting. Dr. Ray, can we pick up back on your point? You were talking about the good old boy network in the higher education yes. sector. Go ahead. Yes. What I was talking about, is the makeup of the boards of trustees or regents that are responsible for hiring the CEO. Now, so let's call them what they are. They are the chief executive officer of an institution of higher ed. One of the best tele, one of the best, um, I would say, um, analogies or a person that could envision what I'm talking about was from a television show that was on some years ago was sponsored by uh, BET. And it was talking about this African-American female president. But long story short, she was sitting at the table with the board of trustees at this. Uh, You're talking about the quad, I think, right? That the, quad, the quad, yes, yes. Right. So she was right. at the, board, and she was at the um, table, and they were interviewing her. The question to her was, what makes you think you can run this institution when you attended an Ivy League school, which is, you know, predominantly white, and you just finished serving as president of an Ivy League school. But what is so profound was her comment. And this is what I want everybody to hear me. Excellence has no race, 
no color or creed. And what this character said to that board is, excellence is excellence, no matter what institutions you're at. You're, basically what she was saying is, you're hiring me to bring out the excellence of the students that we're preparing to go out to be productive citizens. But when you look at that particular clip from that TV show, what I want people to do is look around that room. Around that room were a board of trustees, and, all, and at the table was one female board member, and they were all African-American. And it was one African-American female board member played by Jasmine uh, Guy. And she was a faculty member there. But the majority of the board were African-American males. So let me just say this. The majority of the board was male, and it was one female. So let me and ask you, Dr. Ray, let mm-hmm. me ask you real quick. Did they have a problem with her because she was a female and they were a male-dominated board, and they, every time she did something, they tried to undermine her? Was it a situation yeah. like that? When you saw some of the other uh, 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 episodes, yes, you would see that. But this is the question I would ask. If that was a male sitting before you, would you have asked that kind of question? Um, probably was, not. Yes. Probably that not. Is what I want. That's what I want um, the listeners to really understand. And, and, and it's not that I, I want you all to hear the what I hope people hear is my passion about this because I watched this. I'm telling you, I watched the whole process of a president being hired, and I was a part of that at the time. I was a faculty member. And so I was even looking at some of the questions we were asking this person, and I was like, are questions? you all for real? Yes. Well, so, some of the questions she, they were being asked, uh, you know, when they were, uh, um, you obviously on your search committee, I assume. Well, some of the right. questions they were asking. Some of the questions were asked, well, how can you come to this institution and do this when the institution you just served was small? It's not always about quantity. It's about quality. When I went back and looked at that candidate's uh, uh, campus, she had brought 21st century technology. She had brought additional programs to the campuses. An effect of them being additional new programs, she got these programs credited. This campus was being awarded uh, some some highly uh, esteemed national, uh, receiving some highly esteemed national recognition for the work that was coming to those campuses. So all I'm saying is let's look at this. Why are we asking her because of the size she served? Let's look at the excellence that she brought to that previous campus. Can she bring that excellence? Here. So that's one of the things that I saw, and that's what sparked me in thinking, okay, when I, start, when I work on my PhD, I want to talk to these women. Somehow I want to get to, for them to tell their story. So that's what led me to really start thinking about when it's time for me to work on my PhD, how do I get an opportunity for these women to tell their stories? Because there are African-American women um, presidents that have been successful. But when you look at the literature that's out there about them, sometimes it's um, how we display ourselves as African Americans. Uh, I'm going to say this, and then this will probably lead to another discussion. African American women college presidents know the pathways. They know what they need. They, they know what it takes to get to that job. There's a lot of research out there about that. But one of the things that I did not see, I wanted to know 
if a president has been at her job for two, three years, that's success. What has she done to be able to maintain this job? And I think we need to um, use research in a more positive light about them and allow them to use their voice in such a male-dominated field to tell their story, to say, this is what describes or this is what are the descriptives in being successful in leading a college campus. Yeah, I know I'm discriminated against. Yeah, I know I'm a deal with racism. Yes, I know I'm a deal with uh, gender. Yes, I know I'm a deal with it. But one of the things I wanted was I wanted the women to be able to have a voice that could be um, uh, that could just drown out all the negative, but talk about the positive of what makes them successful leaders. Um, but I would like to say what makes them successful chief executive officers of an institution of higher ed. That's why I have the hashtag, the, uh, hashtag Black Women Leadership Matters. Their, their success stories matter. Um, there were women in my PhD program that were thinking about going into higher ed, and they were like, oh, my God, I was reading some research. They have to deal with this, and they have to deal with that. That's okay. That comes with a job. But I wanted to be able to flip the script, as we should, as I say. I wanted to be able to say, look, there are some successful women, college presidents, and this is what made them successful. That's why I called my research a success profile. I wanted them to profile what made them successful college presidents. Dr. Ray, let me get in here real quick. That's an interesting okay. observation. I had a question for you. Based okay. on uh, piggybacking on what you said, uh, another problem with the higher education sector, based on what we what, what what we've discussed, is there's the history of racism in terms mm -hmm. of the hiring, and you kind of alluded to that. Can you elaborate on that? Why the hiring process is so flawed with <laughs> the racism that's involved? What's what's been your experience with that? Um. Again, look who's at the table during the interviewing. Look who's a part of the search committee. Um, it's male-dominated. Um, depending on the institution, it could be majority white males. Um, it could be majority white, maybe a few females. Um, those are the types of things that you're talking about, that you're dealing with. Um, that somehow sounds like a jury of your peers, almost, it, right? It, almost, but is it really your peers? Is it equitable across the table? Um, are we wow. looking at a hiring committee? Say it's say it's a hiring committee of ten. Let's just throw that number out there. And I know you're a quantitative person, right? But on that committee, how many females? How many males? How many have been a department chair? How many have been a dean? How many have been a VP? How many have been a VP of student success? You may have some of your current leadership that hold these titles on the committee. How many on the actual search committee are faculty? How many are African-American female faculty? How many are Hispanic faculty? How many are female faculty? Am I making sense, Dr. Yeah. Miles? 
Yeah, Let's I look a, at the makeup. Yeah, sure. I have a question. Now, is this is this endemic to uh, African-American candidates, or is this to Hispanic candidates, or is it anybody in general? Because I know I, that I, we I, have issues that are probably unique to us than, say, compared to somebody else. I, I would say this is a general issue when it comes to women. But when it comes to us, hmm, remember, they have to deal with the double whammy. Right. And one of the things um, that that we deal with um, is we don't we don't share enough of our stories. We need to talk about our journeys, and when I say that, we need to do that in a way that is written, so that. Um, Programs that are preparing women, African-American women, they can read about this in research. There's research out there right now. But the voices, the research using the voices of, in particular, African-American women college presidents, I wanted more, but I wanted more in a positive light. Can, can, I, can, I, can I highlight that some more? I don't want to read any more about um, them having to deal with uh, uh, what they deal with. It's okay. Like I said, the racism, the discrimination, we know that's out there. We know they deal with um, the whole um, process of even ascension because of lack of ascension due to racism and, and genderism. Again, I want to talk about, let's talk to those women that are in the president's seat right now how did you get to stay in this seat? What do we I was going to ask to you that, uh, Dr. Ray. It's one thing to uh, maneuver and get the job, and then when you get the job, you have to protect yourself, obviously, because yes. they can, it's easier to get rid of one person than it is to get rid of a committee. But have you seen African-American uh, women, female or uh, women presidents actually get fired? Have you seen that? <laughs> Hello? Yeah, it looked like we faded out a little bit. Go ahead. Okay. I didn't hear your last statement. What was the last statement? Um, I didn't see it in particular, but we all heard about it and we all read about it. Um, I don't know if you recall the story that uh, the story that came out about the female college president at Alabama State University. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so what happened? Um, well, anyway, uh, this particular, uh, I want to say her name was Dr. Gwendolyn. Let me make sure I got it right. Uh, but anyway, this particular university um, hired this African-American female president, and um, in her contract they have written that she cannot cohabitate at the president's residence because she was a single African-American female. You mean she couldn't, have, she couldn't shack up with a man or whatever? Something I, first to that of all, what, what, is co, what cohabitation have to do with excellence? <laughs> you, you might see what I'm saying? Am I making sense? Yeah, I probably I, I would not want to live on campus if they were giving that to me as a condition of my right. uh, job. But, I wouldn't. But this, this is... The, the the conversation that we're having, who writes that in a contract? 
I've never heard of that. Right. And, um, uh, uh, oh, yeah, you might want to have her on one day, but I don't, you know, I don't want to go into details, but that happened. And I'm not telling you a story that um, uh, 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 didn't happen. Her name was Dr. Gwendolyn Boyd. I was trying to remember the name. And this happened with her. And, and, and Dr. Boyd had to, you know, it, it, took, it, it was legal matters. Um, but I will say um, kudos to the state of Alabama. That governor went in and adjusted that board of regents. But why would an African-American female president have to read that in a contract? Was that in her contract? Is that that was in correct? a contract. They wrote that. Who oh, does wow. that? Um, and then there were some other things that transpired. I don't know the details to that, but that's what her hiring started off as. Dr. Wright, yeah. let's I mean, hold that thought and take our break. I want okay. to get back into that. Let's hold that thought. We'll take okay. our next break. We'll be right back. This is Game My Business Talk with Anthony Miles, and uh, we're with uh, Dr. Pamela Ray, uh, founder of Ray of Light Consulting, and we'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game on Business Talk with Anthony Miles, and uh, we have our topic today where our discussion is the challenges of African-American women, college presidents, and higher education with our guest mm-hmm. expert, Dr. Pamela Ray, founder of Rev Light Consulting. Uh, Dr. Ray, can we pick up back on what we were talking about earlier about this particular mm-hmm. uh, uh, college president that had a uh, living arrangement? Uh, <laughs> I guess it was a covenant in her contract. How common is that? Yeah. Is that pretty common uh, or is that uncommon? I don't know. I don't know, but that was her common. <laughs> and that was, woo, did that spark some conversations. You probably want to uh, talk to her more about it, and there's probably, you know, more to the story. I don't know. But just to start off with that, it just makes it un, 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 unbelievable. But, again, um, this is why I wanted to flip the script because guess what? That worked out that way. She has gone on, you know, probably the bigger and better things. But she did serve for a time. And um, when you think about those who have served in that role, you know, even to get to that far to an interview and have served in a, in a particular time frame, you know, again, um, my goal was to make sure I wanted to flip the script. And I wanted to talk about the unique experiences and allow each, um, in my research, allow each of the African-American female presidents that I interviewed to talk about, you know, what they've been through and certain things. And, and one thing, uh, one comment that I found interesting, um, and, and it's in my uh, dissertation, one <laughs> president said, you know, I would caution African-American women to not use race or gender as a crutch or as a prominent variable in developing their thinking behaviors. Quality leadership is void of gender variables. What matters is performance and outcomes. Isn't that powerful? Okay. Is that not a powerful right. statement? Because one of the things that we have to deal with, you know, first they got to get the job. Second thing, they got to maintain it. And then I'm yeah. sure they hold them to a different standard than they do everybody else. So am I correct? Right. Uh, if they slip with their enrollment, 
they're going to be the first persons to be blamed, uh, those type of things. Another one of the problems I want to discuss with you in terms of uh, what you've seen in your research is, is there a a constant pressure to perform in the leadership role in higher education? Is it a really, Uh, is it at the universities? Is that a, is it a lot of pressure on them? uh, Yes, I would say at the university, a little bit different from the community colleges. Uh, what's the difference? The sure, uh, what's the difference? One of the things, in a university, you are expected to publish. It's not open for discussion, negotiation, or mediation. You have to publish in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, the scholar, the scholarly level of expectation is high. So you're always writing something or publishing something. In a community college level, um, that's not uh, – I should say that's not really pushed or required. Um, where your performance and outcome comes at the college, at the community college level, and this is this is just from my experience. Um, yes. If you really want to focus on being that good scholar, you write grants, and that's what happened with me. That's how I would say um, really holding and shaping my scholarly work was writing uh, quite a few of quite a few grants when I worked in the college, um, community college field. Um, and, you know, writing some articles and attending a lot of conferences. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't do research. I don't want to put that out there. And I don't want to put out the fact that there's not scholarly people at the community college level. And by no means I'm putting that out there. But there is a, a very distinct level. Also, I, um, I have to put this out here. Some folks say, oh, here she go. But I have to be serious. At the community college level, the Ph.D. thing, the doctoral thing, that's really not pushed as well. I mean, yeah, you want to have it that higher level, maybe like at the presidency, but believe it or not, I'm not going to go into this topic. We're sticking with African-American female president, but there are some folks at a higher level at the community college level, like VPs that don't have PhDs, but at the university level, you best have some type of doctorate. So that that's one why of the is that, why is that happening at the community college level? Is, is the the qualifications are lower, or they they don't you don't have to have a PhD to teach it or, or be involved in administration? What is that about? I would say the qualifications, as far as educational wise, is different. I don't want to put it. I don't want to frame it in a way that I'm putting down anybody that doesn't have a PhD because they could be excellent at the community college level. But one of the things that I saw for myself, no matter what, um, as you excel in leadership, you should be wanting to excel educationally, personally, spiritually. You know those three realms that I saw for myself. So. Um, earning a PhD, it, 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 for me, it was about I'm going to earn this, but I want to be of service. How can I help somebody in what I've learned in, in becoming a PhD? And how can my scholarly work uh, help others? How can um, my ability to pull together data and, 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 and analyze it and, and put it out there and share that information in my experiences? So it depends. Actually, it depends on the person. I, I, one of the things I talk about in my research is profile. How, how do you want to profile yourself in, in higher ed? Now, remember, I, I want to touch on this real quick. 
Dr. Miles, if I can. I want everybody that's in higher ed to remember this. We are always touching the lives of another adult that is touching the lives of somebody else. No matter if you're training them to be an engineer or to be a teacher or to be a, a nurse, that's what's important when you're looking at higher ed. So, um, and that's one of the things I heard from the president. Everything about them um, was, I use the phrase in my research, radical. Because what I, what, I, what, I, what I took out of my research and one of the themes I heard was they were um, unapologetic and intentional about everything that they did in being a president. And it, I had a question and, and, real quick. I had a question, mm-hmm. Dr. Ray. I had a question. Um, Go. Are most of the people that you interviewed for your study that are college mm-hmm. presidents or are, are in administration, were they married, single, or divorced? What was the majority of their marital the, uh, It was a mixture. Can you believe that? It was balanced. I was, you know, blessed to have a balanced group. I had uh-huh. – um, some that were married and some that were single. And it's so interesting. All of those that were single, they kept saying, Dr. Ray, um, um, well, I wasn't Dr. Ray at the time. They kept saying, um, you know, look, that's for a whole other piece of research, us that mm-hmm. are single and how, you know, how we're looked upon and how we are expected to lead. And I was like, okay. So we never really got into that in detail, but it sounded like, there's a difference if that female is single versus married. So what, what, out of the, the participants that you interviewed, how many were married? It was it 50%, 30%? I would, I, would, I would say 80%. So that means that they have some stability in their life, that they have a – They have some uh, stability, yes. Now, did you notice, uh, did you contrast any differences between the ones that were married and the ones that were single? I assume they were divorced, single, you know, they hadn't been married at one time. Did you notice any uh, observational differences based on your interviews? Yes. They had that support that was needed when you go home. And sometimes the single president, when you go home, you're still working. But you had somebody there to say stop. And then um, another thing that I heard them mention, there's nothing in my research about it, and I've read about this, and I've heard, I've read about this in other literature, and I've heard some females presidents say that there's this expectation about them. When they say, no, I can't do that, or if they say, no, I have to, they'll, they'll get this impression like, well, why not? You're not married. You don't have nothing to go home to. So it's Let like some more. Person. Let mm-hmm. me probe that some more. Well, the ones that were single had been married at one time. Is that right? Right. Yes. Would mm-hmm. you say the ones that are single put their career first before their marriages, or or you don't think so? What's your opinion on that? What were your observations? That's what it sounded like, that they were, whole, they were gone so much, and mm-hmm. that balance of work and life. Let me tell you, this, this leads to another topic in my research. They all talked about African-American women. When you get to be a president, you must have self-care. One president I interviewed, she said, let me give you an example. She said, I have a Caucasian uh, colleague, and when her and I talk sometimes, 
sometimes she say, "Oh, I can't talk to you right now. I'm taking my um, I, I, I'm in uh, I'm at the uh, uh, bird just slipped me. But she getting a massage. Or another one say, "Oh, I use that time that you know, I use that downtime. I get my nails done." So I may get a manicure or pedicure. And she says, we don't do that as African-Americans. We're always, she said, we're always in the grind. We're always working. And that's expected. She said, but our white females, uh, sisters that are presidents, she said, they take that time for self-care. But we don't because the expectation is so higher for us and we don't take time to stop. If we say, look, I need to stop and I need to go over here and I need to do this for myself, she, this one president told me, she said, that if I'm out getting my hair done in the same place, do you know there are some people that may be in a shop with me saying, oh, she got time to get her hair done. Don't she need to be over there running that institution? She said, why can't I get my hair done? I want my hair to look nice. And if this is something that I do to relax me, she said, but that's how they're treated. But she said, her wife Sounds really like it's they're pet. looking that's for what, a flaw in that, that a yeah, president. Like, right. Okay, if that sometimes personal self-care, just group, okay, I'm an African-American female. Can I say this? I like going to the hair salon just because I love how my stylist massages my head. That may be that downtime that they need. How dare you walk in the salon and you may happen to see an African-American female college president getting her hair done. So I want she's getting it done at 1 o'clock. What you don't know is she could be getting that hair done at 1 o'clock because she got to be at a 7 o'clock banquet representing that institution, and she wants to look her best. Uh, well, let so me flip this around. Let me, yeah. let me play devil's advocate. Uh, okay. Say if there was a president that was a male and he went and got a haircut, do you think it would be different? <laughs> Probably be different. Completely How's it going? Different? Uh, great to see you, boy. I'm so glad you could, you know, Hey, you know, what's up? Glad you could brace us with your president, brother president, you know, slap on the shoulder. Huh. And then they start talking whatever they talk in the barbershop. But let, so they would not be as critical if there were a man. Oh, no. To oh, no, probably not. And and this goes back to that whole conversation. One of the things that the women I interviewed talked about is self-care. That's one of the things that they talked about that made them successful. They had to realize, okay, I have to stop. And whatever I do, and, and whatever um, activity I do to take care of myself, I have to make that happen because that's what's going to make me uh, continue to be successful in this role. So um, these women described some really um, interesting things. And, and from my research, if, if I could talk about that, from my research, um, I found five major things about African-American female presidents and what makes them successful um, in their, uh, in leading an institution of higher ed, what internal, external experiences make them successful. And I call this, it's in their DNA. And um, I use the uh, DNA analogy because we all know that, the, you know, the DNA cell is made up, the way it's made up, it sends out information. Well, let me tell you the information I found about these women and, and five things I found. Number one, one of the things I found in my research is that, believe it or not, they all did not intend on being presidents. Somebody saw something else in them. What's so interesting is they all started off, either they were working in their um, 
career field. One was an engineer, and then somebody asked her to come teach at the college. <laughs> Am I making sense? One yes. was a, a high school principal or teacher. Come teach. Somebody was in business. Hey, come teach that what I saw you were great at at the college level. So none of them intended on being a president. Now, isn't that interesting? But it's what others are, you know, to me, they were looking in that lens of excellence. They saw something excellent about this person that put them in higher ed. Number two, I found that they talked about you really have to know African-American women's history. Like they all talked about they all were able to quote other women that came before them, and they all talked about the struggles of African-American women in the academy. So they, they, that was one second thing they, uh, I found as far as made them successful. Third, you have to have a passion for student success and a passion for teaching and mentorship. So those were the five themes that came out of my study. And based on those five themes, what's in an African-American female college president, based on my research, are five things. And I call them the, um, the fad, I call them the, um, the four R's of what's in their DNA. Number one, they're radically Wait, Dr. Passionate. Ray, we got to take uh-huh. our next break. Well, can okay. you piggyback on that after our break? i like to hear that. I sure. Okay. All that thought. This is our uh, next break. This is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles with our guest, Dr. Pamela Ray. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. And uh, let us continue our discussion on challenges of African-American women, college presidents, and higher education with our guest today, Dr. Pamela Ray. Uh, Dr. Ray, could you name those five uh, factors that four. you came up four. with, or four, yes. excuse me, the four yes. factors that you came up with uh, concerning sure. the African-American women college presidents that they right. deal with? Okay. Start the well, first, first one. Okay, first let me tell you what my research was titled. It was called mm-hmm. Success Profile, a case study okay. of the African-American woman in, African-American women in the president's office. Okay. So basically my research focus was looking at um, Two things. One, uh, examine African-American women, college presidents, their success experiences, how they define success and so forth. And secondly, I wanted to investigate what internal and external daily experiences African-American women um, and college presidents, I would say, determine what is needed for them to be successful as chief executive officers of an institution of higher ed. And what I found from my research, it concluded four things. And I, I described them as the four R's of daily lived experiences that contributed to success and achievement for them in a higher education environment. First, it was having radical passion for institutional excellence. Um, radical is not negative in a negative connotation, but um, as the participants from my study indicated, it's an ability to have an uncompromising voice representing an institution that fosters student success, effective teaching and learning, and promote a supportive community. Because remember, these campuses are sitting in somebody's community. What was the second one again? What was the second one again? The first one is, uh, are you talking about my first finding, my first conclusion? No, 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 the second uh, theme or the factor. Was the one that you just mentioned? 
Yes. Oh, the first one was radically passionate. Okay. Okay. And what I did was I defined what what radically passionate was based on, you know, what um, and speaking with the participants and what I found was radical did not mean a negative connotation. Does that make sense? Yes. But what it meant from my research per the participants, what they indicated is radical passion means an ability to have an uncompromising voice representing an institution that fosters student success, effective teaching and learning, and promotes a supportive community because these institutions fit in somebody's community. My second uh, conclusion I found was that you have to have an ability to be reflective and reflective on a personal and professional level um, because they reflect on their personal and professional experiences to know what worked for them or what doesn't work when leading a college campus. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. The third thing I found was that they're relatable. These women presidents can relate to others with confidence because most likely they've been through something a student has been through. When that female student comes in and say, hey, I'm trying to, I'm leading this, this student organization, but they're not hearing me. You know, I feel like all these, it's majority of males. What can you advise me on? So they'll be able to relate to something like that. Third, um, fourth, I'm sorry, was a role model. Now, role modeling, what I found from my research, this was what really got me, it was reciprocal. These women that I interviewed, Dr. Miles, they talked about not only having that confidant, that, that mentor, someone they can talk to, but they use that type of mentoring or that confidant they can talk to as um, a way for them to learn how to be a role model for others. So when I say reciprocal, it was a two-way learning experience for them. You have to have somebody you can talk to that you have a role model or a mentor and then you have to be able to use that experience because of the many hats that they wear and to be able to link with someone outside of the campus to think aloud or share ideas while also being a model for others as a chief executive officer on that institution because you're wearing so many hats. You're being the counselor, the advisor, and the supporter. So basically, metaphorically speaking, from my research, I concluded that it's in her DNA. And what's in her DNA and to make to be a successful college, African American college president that I found from my research and for I tell uh African American women that ask me about this now, start making a success profile for yourself. What makes you successful in what you're doing right now? Start putting that profile together. I'm successful at this, I'm successful at that. You know, a lot of you know, and start talking about putting that profile together. But the four things I found um, that describes their lived experiences that contributed to success and achievement as African-American women, college presidents, and in a higher education environment is that they're radically passionate, they're reflective, they're relatable, and they're great role models. Dr. Ray, I had a question. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the solutions you think would help African-American females in terms of a leadership role in the higher education sector? What do you think, what do you think they, 
some of the solutions they could do to prosper and hire it? What are some of the things based on your research did you think that would help them prosper? I know you could find those four things. Is there anything mm -hmm. else that you think would help them be, you know, prosperous in the higher education field? There's so many. I'm trying to find like one that really, really can help. You think mentoring is important? Having a mentor mentoring, at the institution? I would say, I would say yes. Have a mentor. Um, that's something that a few of the presidents talked about that there's this lack of mentorship going on. And every time they start going there, even though I had to steer them back to my research, but that's something, there's a lot of research out there. You probably want to get somebody on your talk show about that. But there's this lack of mentorship. But, yes, get a mentor, number one. Number two, I would say study and research and know the history and the foundations of higher ed. And why I say that is because most likely you're teaching in a field that's your field. Like, for instance, I came out of early childhood education. I didn't know about adult education. I highly recommend individuals to take at least one class on adult education. The beauty of my uh, Ph.D. is I went to a program where you could take 18, uh, you could take uh, courses in adult education. And once you had 18 graduate hours of coursework in adult education courses, they would give you a graduate certificate of completion. So I have a graduate certificate of completion on top of my PhD, and I got those two simultaneously. I had a oh, question, what? Dr. Rea, mm -hmm. and this is going to be a little bit of a shift. Do you okay. think that um, there's competition among African-American females and they kind of act treacherous toward each other? Did you uncover Sometimes. that in your research? Um, yes. What, um, what, what, how common is that? Some, not all. But a few mm -hmm. of the participants said that sometimes they reached out to other African-American females and got snubbed. What was their, how did they feel about that? What was their, what did um, they say about it? Sometimes it was a feeling of, oh, I'm coming trying to take your job. Is anything open at your institution? You know, or, or that, that, that feeling of, well, why is she worried about what's going on, what I'm doing? You know, you know, or that fear, I don't know if it's a fear, but this, well, I, I don't, I don't want to uh, uh, hook up another African American. Then they just saying I'm just helping out my people. <laughs> now, I oh. heard that comment. So I, they, so basically, what you're saying is they feel that they have to help them, that they're sacrificing themselves or putting themselves in the position to be uh, targeted or terminated by helping another African American uh, professional or colleague. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you faded out on me. Goodness. Yeah. Did you hear my it last question? It keeps going out and then asking me to uh, mm -hmm. go into another. Yo, I didn't hear your last question. Sure. But, the last um, question was, let me tell you, say it to you again. Okay. Uh, you said that um, they were snubbed, and then I, my question was, well, do they not help each other because they feel they may put themselves in a position to be terminated or – it will look bad on them to help another African-American colleague because I, some, that's really intriguing to me. Some, not all. I can actually say the women I interviewed, I did a case study, small group of women, because the number of them are small. 
So, but the women that I interviewed, I, I am so grateful to them because, Derek, think about it. They didn't have to talk to me. So just think about the women I've talked to. So there are some out there, I don't want to cast a light that there's not, but there are some who are kind of like, well, I don't want nobody to think I, I'm, I'm only hiring black people or I'm only hiring black females. But it, 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 there, that's out there, I can tell you. Um, but I want to go back to talking about that mentorship piece because you asked me to really, you know, a really right. good question about what's really right, yeah. Why is that so important? Yeah. Not only link up to a mentor, but think about, um, for example, an organization you belong to. Is there somebody in there in higher ed that you can link up with? So for myself, um, I am proud to say I am a member of the first Greek black organization for females. I'm a member of Alpha, Cap Alpha, Sorority Incorporated. And we celebrate our 112th anniversary in two days. So, but think about this. I already have a link. Um, there are quite a few African-American female presidents that are my sorority sisters. When I was brainstorming about my research and thinking about it, I talked to some of them and, and bounced what I was thinking and my ideas off of them. So there was that already there's already that level of mentorship for me. Um, one so, of our, Dr. Uh, Wright, real uh, quick. Dr. Mm-hmm. Wright, I had a question. So you saying if they're linked to a sorority uh, organization, or, that could help provide them? organization, right. That could provide some mentorship for Some them? mentorship, uh, right. And, 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 and what I was about to say is you may not think that that's important, but sometimes when you're putting together your success profile, that's one of the things when I started thinking about this success profile. You know, how could I profile myself? I could profile the fact that I belong to an organization where there are several African-American women that are college presidents. Our current international president of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Dr. Glenda Glover, is president of Tennessee State University. She's serving as our international president and serving as the CEO of that institution. So there's that link right there. I bounced the idea off of her as well. So, you know, what I was thinking about doing in my research. So it, it, when you just think about the, the little pieces of, of success in your own profile and start writing those down and say, okay, who in this organization is serving in higher ed that I can link up with. You know, also, as you're reading articles, for those that, you know, those, those doctoral students out there now, those African-American females that's doing research on whatever, look at uh, the authors. Look them up. Contact them. If you're doing some more African-American studies, why not? Um. There's all types of organizations. We have the Black Doctoral Network, you know, but find that mentor and start, you know, making that connection. I would say that's the biggest, biggest thing. My first um, mentor um, that I started in higher ed, (laughs) I I wish I could have said it was African-American, but it was another female. And she kept saying to me, Pam, you'll do good in higher ed if you want to do this. Do this, do this, do this. She said, I don't want to go up in higher ed. I like teaching in the classroom. 
She said, but if you want to go up in higher ed and, and, and talking to other colleagues, other female colleagues, she said, who are now department chairs and VPs. And Dr. Miles at the time, I was nowhere thinking about that. Remember, if, I, if you heard me tell my story earlier, I was like some of the college presidents. No, I don't want to teach in, in higher ed. I don't want to teach in a college classroom. So some things are unintentional. Dr. Ray, we're almost mm-hmm. uh, out of time because uh, we all have a little bit of more time. I want to uh, ask, how can the uh, audience members get a hold of you if they want to uh, read more about your research? How can they get a hold of you? Well, um, I am happy to say that I just received notice from the institution. I just graduated in December, um, but my research is already out there. Um, you can reach me at Pray of Light 68, Pray of Light 68 at gmail.com. That's my email. Okay. Or you can go to. You have to, a website or a, a LinkedIn yes, page? I, Are you on LinkedIn? A, I'm on LinkedIn as Pamela E. Ray, PhD. Okay. Um, or you can go to my website, which is www. DrPrayOfLight.com. Oh, goodness. Well, great. I want to thank you for being on our show today. We may have to bring you back because this is a critical issue. And, uh, yes, we need like to touch on a lot more. Yes, please. Right. This, this may be a two-short segment, but uh, that's going to be our show today. And I want to thank Dr. Pamela Ray again for being on our show, Founder of Ray of Light Consulting. And uh, what we need to do is we need to really consider some of the things that she said about mentoring. So, well, we're out of here. That's our show today. Dr. Miles, Dr. Miles, before we go. Yes. Can I plug you just a minute? Because we're talking about mentoring and how dare I leave this show before I say you are one of my mentors. So I have female mentors and male mentors. And I want to say to you, you came in my life my brother, at a time that was needed. So you are a mentor to me, and I would say those that are looking for good mentors, hit up Dr. Miles because this brother came in. He didn't look at me as a female that couldn't do it. He was looking for excellence out of me, and he brought all of that. So you can have a male mentor as well. So Dr. Miles is now a part of the Ray family. He's Uncle D to my son now. So I just oh, want to plug you and say, hey, you are that. a mentor, and I appreciate you. Oh, Dr. Ray, thank you so much. Well, that was our show today. I didn't expect <laughs> to get a plug, but I appreciate that. Well, that's our show. Let me uh, go close you. our show out. This is our Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles, and our guest today is Dr. Pamela E. Ray. And uh, we, want, we talked about the uh, – African-American females in the higher education sector. So that's yes. our show today, and mm-hmm. we will see you next week, and we're out. Game on Business right. Talk with D'Anthony Miles. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game on Business Talk Radio with host D'Anthony Miles.